This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder. The only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air,、uh, and, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here with my good friend, Laura Spath. And today we are going to answer all your questions. So, the first question we have is Why do I feel tired a couple hours after eating eggs and bacon? So, I'm not sure if it's the eggs and bacon specifically they're asking or just after eating their daily meal.、Um, why would somebody feel tired after eating that? So, it really depends.、Um, my first thought would be, Um, are you first transitioning to carnivore? And then, if you've had any blood sugar dysregulations, it could be that. It may be that your body's like, where's the sugar with this eggs and bacon?、Um, so, if it's something like that, then you may just have to kind of stay the course, maybe eat a little bit more fat.、Um, maybe you want to add real meats to that. But if it's just that consistently you eat eggs and bacon and you feel tired, it could be a histamine response. It could be that you are just sensitive to eggs and bacon. The best way to figure out that part of it is to just do a,、um, an elimination and then reintroduction. So you may want to remove one at a time. And then actually, you probably will want to eliminate both from your diet for maybe just a week or two, see how you feel. Is it really the eggs and the bacon specifically that are making you tired? If it seems like it's those two things, then you may want to just introduce eggs at one point. Maybe you want to start with. Uh, just the egg yolks and just do maybe half of the egg yolks, see how you feel. If you feel fine, then try a full egg yolk and then slowly reintroduce, try the whole egg, see if it's the egg whites. And then you can slowly do the same thing with the bacon.、Um, you can either do the bacon separately or you could do with the eggs and bacon, assuming that the eggs were safe. And that will allow you to figure out okay, is it a sensitivity, a histamine response? Is it some type of thing within the egg or a bacon that is affecting you? And that can be true for anything. If you're experiencing inflammation or gut issues, you know, doing that backwards 
elimination protocol is really going to be the quickest way to address that. Same thing as far as fat to protein ratio, kind of eliminate down to one thing and then add things back in as you go and you'll be able to identify those, uh, any issues that you're having. Yes, exactly. The next question is how to shop for a carnivore on a budget. So we, I mean, really, I would first and foremost, cut out anything that you're eating. That's not a single ingredient item, steak, bacon, eggs, you know, anything, even cheeses can be expensive. So I wouldn't even incorporate that. If you're having packaged foods, I ate a bag of uh, pork rinds this weekend as a little treat, but that little bag, it was like a specialty flavor pork rinds. It was five bucks just for that bag. And it was nothing more than a little snack for me. I could easily get um, steak, chicken, and eat an entire meal for $5. So I would instantly cut out anything that you're doing. That's not one of those single ingredient foods. Um, and then I would also evaluate, you know, you have stronger opinions on supplements, but I would also evaluate what supplements are you taking vitamins, extra electrolytes. Can you make your own electrolyte mix versus buying prepackaged ones? That's a huge cost savings. Um, and then also what, Figure out, I mean, you can address supplements, but there are some that you're taking that may be not necessary. You're just taking random vitamins because you think you need them um, and and drill down. If any snacking whatsoever, I would cut that out. And then the typical answer of shop the sales, our family incorporates pork, chicken, because beef prices are going up. Uh, And so that's definitely how I would address it. Yeah, I think um, just to add on to that in terms of the supplements, um, I would not take any of the liver pills. I think those are really expensive, first of all, and I don't think you're um, they're necessary on a, a meat-based diet. Um, if you have been under eating or you have malnutrition and it shows in your blood work or if you are anorexic, those are the ways that maybe you need to add some organs. And then even if you get the grass-fed variety of organs, they're normally like 2 to $3 a pound. So they're very cheap versus supplement varieties are, I think, closer to $30 a pound. So you want to one, maybe you don't really need those. And then if you do need supplements, it may just be the gut supports initially so that you don't have the loose stools that you're making sure and breaking down your foods and then absorbing them. But over time, you may not even need supports. Other things in general for carnivore on a budget, my family, we also shop the sales. We also work with our local farmer and get the best deals. Um, If you want to buy grass-fed, I think it's the best option. I never buy grass-fed from like Whole Foods or those specialty markets that are very top dollar. Instead, I go to my farmer and that's where I get the grass-fed. If otherwise, I also shop the sales and uh, buy in bulk. It's figuring out what works for you, but it is very, very possible to do carnivore on a budget. And that's where Judy and I disagree with the, I don't think you need grass finished. I would actually eliminate that completely um, and shop conventional meats and look for things that are fattier. I think it tastes better. The fat ratio is better for me. And so that's how it makes it more sustainable. A follow-up question that somebody had asked is why is meat getting so expensive? Judy and I did um, a podcast full episode where we talked to Paul Dykstra and he is um, works with cattle. He's in the cattle industry and talks a lot about the supply chain issues that are going on. This was a few months ago, so things have kind of escalated since then, but um, it really addresses why that's happening. And in that episode and the following one, we take a deeper dive into the budget issue um, yes. that we mentioned as well, beyond what we just kind of touched on. So the next question is, do you have any tips for freezing defrosting meat? The texture is always off. 
Um, I couldn't really quickly answer. I'm so basic when it comes to meat. So I air fry my frozen meats or I cook them right away. And so there's no kind of defrosting flavor. But I mean, that's really my extent of knowledge. So I'm going to hand it over to Laura. (laughs) Well, I'm the bougie one. And like for, I think for many years, we could not, I wouldn't freeze meat at all because I couldn't handle it once it was rethawed. It just didn't taste the same. And it's true when you freeze meat, it expands and contracts and it really starts to break down the fibers of the meat and it does instantly um, change the texture of it. It was a huge game changer for me when I got a vacuum sealer and started vacuum sealing things from fresh and then freezing them. And then when I slowly thaw them in the fridge, that really did make a big difference in the flavor and the texture. Um, I bought like a food saver vacuum sealer, but then I buy on Amazon, all the generic bags, the bags are kind of what's expensive on a vacuum sealer. And I don't use the name brand bags, but even the, um, knockoff brand, uh, or generic bags are, have been really helpful for me. So that's the biggest suggestion that I have, uh, especially when it comes to your steaks, other things like a roast or chicken pork are not really as particular, but you want to try to keep as much air away from that meat as possible to try to protect the integrity of the meat. We got a question about insomnia and anxiety and how can I resolve those? I think more than anything, it's getting to the root cause of what's going on. Um, There, you know, things, if there's something going on with me, maybe it'll keep me up at night. There's also times when I'm just going through a stressful period and um, it can affect my sleep tremendously, but I really can't even pinpoint it. So it's not like I can resolve one specific issue. So sometimes it does go deeper than that. And I know, um, The same way we mentioned with gut issues and with getting tired afterwards, this might be an opportunity for you to um, go back to that elimination protocol because it may be something that you're eating, some spices or plant foods or toxins that are causing those flare-ups. We did an entire episode on sleep, so I know that you can go address that. But Judy, any other thoughts around insomnia and anxiety? I mean, sometimes insomnia is just because... Um, If it's a transition from like a standard American diet to eating this way, it could just be that you're, it's just a transition and the hormones are changing and that affects your sleep. And that can even affect anxiety because you have excess cortisol in the system. But once you are adapted and you are still struggling with insomnia, there is a high chance that you are under eating. Um, Other than that, the other options, yes, I'd say go listen to our sleep episode, uh, You know, we put out a lot of content in there in terms of sleep and what the various reasons can be that you may be losing sleep on a meat-based diet. Yeah, that was that was an in-depth one, and it gave me a lot of light bulb moments. I remember that for sure. The next question: um, It looks like it's uh, good choices to eat for menopause. I definitely. That's not something I have experience with. I know that. Um, They talk about making sure we get a lot of fat and protein. I think that as women age, we experience a lot of bone loss and muscle loss. And so making sure that you have a lot of protein, I know that's been a big focus from an anecdotal standpoint with my mom, where we really talk about making sure she's getting enough protein and fat to help her through that process. Um, Any other specifics that you know of? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing to take away when you're going into menopause is that essentially your ovaries are saying, hey, I'm done making hormones and now adrenals, you need to take over. And when that process happens, if your adrenals have been chronically stressed, chronically producing cortisol, chronically trying to balance the excess sugar within the body, 
it's not going to have an easy transition. And therefore, you will have those hot flashes, the weight gain, the lack of being able to sleep. So if you want that transition to run smoothly, one, you want to reduce the stressors so that your adrenals have the capacity to take over the hormone production. And one way you can do that is by reducing stressors, whatever it may be. It could be perceived stress, life stressors, job stress, work stress, relationship stress, um, and even just excess sugar in the body, right? That if you consume too much sugar, then you have to produce excess insulin. And if that's not working, then cortisol has to come in and save the day. So if you are having cortisol constantly produced, then that will affect your adrenals. And and then when you get into menopause, that's just one extra burden on the adrenal. So the best thing to do is if you are producing a lot of cortisol, you may want to support your body with more fat so that you have the raw materials to produce cortisol. But in essence, you really just want to lower the load on cortisol in general, and that will then support your adrenals in the bigger picture. And then in that bigger picture, then your menopause transition will be a lot more smoother. And if you're not there yet, I think that's all those things that you mentioned are just good practices for women in general to help protect their hormones um, and to prepare themselves. So when they are going through menopause, they're not experiencing that drastic change. Like you said, it should hopefully work. Our bodies are in a healthier place to begin with. Yes. So lots of meats, lots of protein, lots of good fats, and just minimize your sugar and minimize the stress. Cool. We got a couple questions that go together. It's, do you count macros on carnivores and how do you know how much to eat on carnivore? The answer is unfortunately not specific because it does vary so much. Uh, everything Again, this is another one of those times where you say, it depends. Everything depends on where you're coming from, what your goals right. are what you're looking to do. Uh, I think the best thing to do is just start with the meat that you like, that you enjoy, that you can afford and see how you feel. And if you're feeling drained, if you're feeling tired, if low energy, you need to add more fats. Likely if you are hungry all the time and not satisfied, again, you might need to add some more protein in that regard because that fat, um, and lack of like a super high fat diet and really low protein would likely give you loose stools. You're going to feel not satisfied, right? I need food in my stomach to like make me feel full. And so having some decent amount of protein um, helps me feel that way. And it's, I think more than anything, you have to be consistent for a period of time. You can't eat a certain ratio for a couple of days um, and expect to know how that, if that's the right ratio for you. But I think that the majority of us, don't count carnivores proactively. I would more suggest counting them reactively to say, I've been tired over the last week and I'm not losing weight. Track your calories for a little while, just based on what you're instinctually eating. And then see, most likely you might be under eating, you might be overeating, and then you can make an adjustment based on how it is. But I wouldn't I don't, wouldn't go to somebody and have them figure out what your macro should be and then hit that and think that that's per, like permanent. Like they need to be flexible. They might even be flexible just based on where you're at in the month and where your weight loss is and what your goals are. So look at them backwards and then make adjustments based on how you feel is my suggestion. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person and where they're coming from, like you said, and how far they or how long they've been eating this way. I think in general, if you just get a fatty cut of meat, and then if you need a little bit more fat, because you seem to just have a voracious appetite, that might help and not really worry too much about the macros until things aren't going as well. But you need to make sure and eat sufficiently, especially when you're first transitioning so that 
you don't lose your hair and you don't lose your skin health and that you don't start having hypothyroid symptoms. So just make sure you eat enough. And um, in general, that's probably more than eight ounces per meal. Um, and just if you need to add fat, add accordingly. But I wouldn't just be eating like chicken breast and shrimp. Um, it's too lean. And you need a energy source more than just protein to make this diet optimal. And that's when fat really shines. Not saying you have to add ribeye with like 10 tablespoons of butter or anything like that. But maybe if you have a ribeye and the fat on it is not enough, then maybe you just add one tablespoon and then you kind of just go from there and listen to your symptoms. Absolutely. I think both of us agree that neither extreme is good. This like yeah. 90% fat um, or the super lean is not good either. And so usually somewhere between a yes. 60 to 70% fat ratio um, is where people find their happy. Their where they're happy, but you obviously have to kind of play around with it. I don't know the answer to this one, Judy. Do you, did you want to answer the one about connective tissue disorder? Yeah. So this person's asking uh, recommendations for someone with connective tissue disorder. So essentially connective tissues are made up of proteins um, and the big ones are collagen and elastin. And what essentially happens is, I mean, connective tissues are all throughout the body. Um, there are different types of proteins and the essential issue with connective tissue disorder is that there's inflammation in those tissues and it causes an imbalance or disease within those collagen and elastin. And so you have to figure out where is the inflammation coming from. A carnivore diet can be very beneficial for it, somebody that's struggling with connective tissue disorder. I mean, it has the fats and meats and proteins and building blocks that you need to support connective tissues. Now you have to figure out what is causing the inflammation. If it's certain foods, obviously you want to reduce those. If it's something in uh, your household or your toxins or the environment or stress, um, you, you want to make sure and get to that root cause. If it's a gut issue that exacerbated the connective tissue disorder, you want to also work on that. So figure out where it's coming from. But in terms of diet, in terms of reducing inflammation, there's no better diet than probably a meat-based diet that can support extra collagen and gelatin and all of those good building blocks in terms of proteins for this, um, this imbalance. I feel like we say that with everything, but it's just so true. Like that's where you're getting the most nutrient dense food. Uh, and it's, it's so important. I think somebody else had a question about SIBO healing and can they still do weight training and focus on body competition or is that going to, um, slow down their healing? I think based on reading through the lines of this question, they're asking if they can jack up the protein and lower down the fat in order to get better body composition and like lean out. If you're trying to heal, that's probably not the best thing to do. You want right. to make sure your body is being fueled properly. Also, anybody who's done bodybuilding competitions will tell you that that extreme of going lean and trying to lean out for that purpose is very temporary. And they don't do it long term even because it's so hard on your body to hit a certain aesthetic in that way. And so I would focus on healing first and foremost. I know we've talked a lot more in depth about SIBO stuff, but whether it's that or anything, healing has to be your number one priority. And then you could still probably do some exercise and build muscle, but I wouldn't restrict your fats, uh, especially if you're trying to heal. Yeah, I think that's the number one issue I see in terms of dieting. It's either people want to heal, but as much as they say that they want to heal, their priority is the body composition. And so then once they're starting to heal, if their body is not getting to the size they want, 
it doesn't matter how much healing they've done. And I've seen it so many times where people are like, well, I'm sleeping better. My skin is better, but I'm not, I'm not skinny weight. enough. I know. I'm uh, not as skinny as somebody that I saw in a picture. Right. Right. And so that's when the diet starts derailing because or unraveling because there's this, you know, asterisk by the diet. It's good, but, and then that, but is what ends up making them unravel because it's like, well, I'm not even getting to eat all the sugary foods that I wanted and I'm not losing weight. Well, then I'd rather go back to the other diet. But the thing is you lose all the other healing benefits. And that's the part that gets really sad because you can use levers when you heal like you know, extended fasting, doing protein sparing, modified fast, maybe once a week or something like that. But there are ways to lose weight over time, but you have to make healing the priority. And the unfortunate thing is that majority of people, and I get it, I I struggle with this once in a while, but majority of people care most about the body composition because it's the outer appearance that matters more than anything. Kind of along those same lines, somebody asked, I've been carnivore for 10 months. I haven't changed anything, but now I'm gaining weight and getting inflammation. Um, For me personally, I can't just eat whatever I want all the time, even if it's meat, because it's even if it's fatty meat, because I can gain weight really easily. I have to lever things like fasting. The same thing with reducing inflammation. If I'm eating too much cheese, if I'm eating too many processed meats, those are things that can increase inflammation. You obviously can't give a lot of context to your question in an Instagram question box, but uh, I would see what are you eating, cut out any processed meats or foods, cut out some dairy for a little while. I would also check out your intermittent fasting. Not everybody has to do extended fasting like I love, but you know, doing two meals a day or um, not having a 16 hour eating window is likely helpful for most people when looking to reduce inflammation. The other thing I noticed is if you've been carnivore for a while and it's been working and you're eating very high fat, you may have to start reducing the fat load. So your body may get to a period of it's just running really smoothly. It's now being very efficient. So you may not need to eat like, let's say at 80% fat in terms of total calories in your diet. And now you may have to go down to 70%. For some people eating the consistent 80% from the way they were eating in the very beginning can now cause inflammation only because it's like a surplus in a macronutrient that they may no longer need. So the body's more efficient and it's just becoming excess calories. And so therefore people can gain weight from that. So that's where we have to be very hypervigilant in our own diet, know what's working and what's not. It could also be that if you're just eating beef, that can be another thing. You may not be satiated. Maybe you're eating a little bit more than you realize. And then You may do better by um, adding a variety in meats. So fish is a good one. It has different nutrients, pork, chicken, same thing. Beef alone doesn't have enough thiamines, um, not enough magnesium, that type of stuff. So you may have to eat more in order to get the same nutrient profile by eating only one cut of meat. That's a good one. The next one is in terms of emotional eating, binging. So, I mean, what do you do? Uh, What would be a good tip for you for emotional eating slash binging? You know, it's so hard. I want to have simple answers for people and we just can't. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. I I struggle with it still sometimes. There's other times where I'm solid and feeling great for a few months. For me, it's always just about putting one day at a time and putting days together and the more days that I can have, you know, we often talk about winning the day, making very small goals. In 2019, I had lost my hundred pounds, I was looking to address my loose skin and do some toning. And I went super extreme exercising. 
And then obviously COVID happened and I didn't go to the gym for the last year and a half. Well, this week I went to the gym for the first time in a year and a half. And rather than trying to go back to like six days a week, like I had done previously, I am now trying to make really small goals. And so what am I doing to stop emotional eating and to prepare myself going into the holidays? I am trying to incorporate small goals of exercise, which is not my favorite thing at all. And so once or twice a week, I'm going to try to go to the gym um, and do something like that. A lot of it though, is just identifying the triggers. Like what situations are you going to be in that are causing you issues Uh, having some quick foods on hand that are going to help get you through that. And for me, it's about making one thing that's non-negotiable and saying that I will not eat sugar, but I can eat whenever I'm feeling it. So if you're feeling stressed, worst case scenario, you eat some bacon or you eat some jerky or you eat some meat, you have an extra meal that day. Oh, it wasn't in your intermittent fasting plan, but it's okay. I'm fine. I survived the day by not eating Halloween candy or not eating um, Christmas cookies. And so not being too hard on yourself is also a really big part of it. Um, Listen, you're listening to this podcast. You're doing the right thing, making sure you're consuming content that's keeping you on track. That was way more than one thing, but um, there's not a, there's not a easy one, two, three step plan for breaking sugar addiction, unfortunately. Um, And it really just, for me, it's just always been about giving myself a little tough love, listening to that from other people, and then just kind of taking it one day at a time. Yeah. And we talked a lot about this in a previous episode where I think it was, is sugar, um, is restriction leading to binging? So that's something that I'd really consider. If you are starting a new diet, a lot of times, one of the the key things that people do when starting a new diet is restriction. And the thing is in that conversation, we talk about a lot of times restriction leads to binging. It doesn't matter how healthy, how non-disordered you are over time. If your body is hungry, it will use all the hormones in the body to make you go and seek food because it thinks that you are starving. So if you work on the body's part of this whole puzzle, then your body will be fueled enough that it won't send those signals. And then you have to just work on the mind. And I say just mind, but it's actually really hard as well. But work on the mind, then you have all the energy and resources to just work on getting the mind right um, when and that itself is hard. But if you have the mind and body struggling, then it's just a recipe for failures. Okay, so we have one for how to break a sugar addiction. And we just kind of talked about it. So I'd make sure to go listen to that podcast episode because it was specific to sugar, what to feed a baby or toddler. So I was not carnivore uh, when my kids were small, but I was really big into baby led weaning, um, which if you look that up, it's really focusing on letting the kids feed themselves. You skip a lot of those purees. Like we skipped all the oatmeals. We skipped all the um, cereals, the wheat cereals and all those things. Really kids don't, it gives them no nutritional value. And we focused on nutrient dense foods. So my kids actually, before I knew anything about carnivore, were like sucking on a chicken leg when they could barely hold food. You give them very specific like finger length strips of meat that they can grasp with their whole hand. They can, before they can even chew, they can suck on this meat and get all the good nutrients that come out of the juices. Um, My kids ate a lot of avocados when they were babies. So we really focused on like meat, good fats. You know, they used to eat sweet potatoes and stuff back then, really just because I didn't know differently. But um, for kids and toddlers, I would focus the most on just 
single ingredient things like meats and avocados and well-rounded things. I think my kids eat a lot of berries and things like that, that they could feed themselves. But more than anything, if they're under one, remember that the majority of their nutrients are still coming from breast milk or formula. And so they're, you, you shouldn't really be too concerned with like what they're swallowing, I guess, at that point. Um, Kids don't need sugar is my biggest thing. They don't need snacks. So once they hit a certain age, like they're, I was that mom that never went to the grocery store without having at least three or four different snack options on hand for my kids. And the minute that we cut out this carby snacks and they weren't eating the veggie straws and the goldfish at the grocery store at, you know, 10 o'clock, then all of a sudden lunch came around and they were really, they were normally hungry. They were like actually hungry for their meal and they were much more willing to eat meat. So First steps, I think, with kids, if they're a little older, toddler age, is like cut out the snacks and all the empty carbs and focus on just trying new things. Eggs was another big early one for us. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, I mean, they shouldn't eat any differently than us. I mean, if we're, we know that meats are the most nutrient-dense foods, they should be eating that. My oldest was a carb addict when he was little because I was uh, pretty much a vegetarian, so I thought carbs were the best and I was okay if he never ate meat. And it took a while for him to get used to eating mostly meat. But I mean, when kids are hungry, they will eat. And it's not a, I need to hide the meat in something for the kids to eat it. When they're hungry, they'll eat meat. Whereas with veggies, oftentimes you have to hide it in something or slather it in fat or cook it down so that they can't even taste the flavors. Trust their intuition, but I would stick to whole foods. The last two questions are what kind of electrolytes do you recommend? Um, I love the snake juice diet recipe, or you could buy those packets. I do really just like salt and potassium personally. Uh, if I'm going to buy pre-mixed ones, I like the unflavored of the snake juice stuff there. It's expensive to buy the packet. So I just usually mix up my own stuff. If um, you wanted something with flavor, the Relight ones I think are a good recipe. There's other brands that have more stevia and more flavoring that tend to make me not feel well. And so I don't, um, I don't prefer those, but I know Judy talks a lot about sole water and you've, you've have a blog post, I think on that recipe, right? Yeah. I mean, all it is, is basically get a big mason jar of water and, um, add like a quarter cup or half a cup of Redmond real salt or Celtic salt or, Himalayan pink pink salt and and then let it just absorb. Let the minerals basically become more bioavailable. And then um, these are trace minerals. Now, I do think that most people do need to supplement potassium and magnesium at different times. But in general, I think sole water is the best place to start. You may want to just in the morning add, start with a teaspoon of the sole water and then add it to eight ounces of water. Um, you may need some iodine for some people. You may want to add some iodine, but you could just do sole water with the water. And then you'll have to figure out based on your individual needs, if you need potassium in the morning and then magnesium in the evenings. The last question, which is, is, uh, it's very small, but it's very important to me. It says, how do you reheat beef patties the next day? So they are good and not dry and tough. It is impossible. So the answer is don't reheat them or, um, they're actually not bad cold or room temperature. If you just let them sit out, you could maybe put them in the air fryer for a second, but it is one of the biggest challenges of beef is that it, for me, it gets like an odd taste reheated. And so I can't personally reheat beef. I think over time you learn to enjoy it cold, or if I think I'm going to need to stock up and want a meal prep ahead, I focus on things like pork and chicken and other meats just because I can't 
do the beef reheated. The other trick is just to add cheese to it. So those are my only tricks for reheating beef. I add a lot of butter or cheese to it to, I guess, offset the flavor. And now I just eat my meat cold. Ever since that conversation, I just carry my meat or I eat it right out of the fridge and it actually does not taste bad. Um, We have some reviews that we want to read as well. So thank you guys in advance for submitting these reviews on Apple podcast. It really helps us. Um, Marty, Marty, O gave us a five-star review. Thank you, Marty. And said, love these episodes as a new carnivore. I'm so happy to be able to learn from your wins and struggles. You two are great. Um, The next one says, Um, Such great info, carnivore while pregnant. I just found this podcast and love it. It's already addressed a lot of questions I've had about carnivore diets and is super helpful. I was wondering if you all could talk about carnivore, keto while pregnant and breastfeeding. This is one really important area where I've been able to find very little good information throughout my baby's journey. You can absolutely be carnivore or keto while pregnant. The biggest tricky part is that you just need to make sure you're eating enough. The thing about keto is that you can um, under eat often because you don't feel those hangry times, but you want to make sure and just eat enough. Uh, for some people, they include raw milk. For some people, it helps them to nurse better. It helps them to be pregnant while being carnivore um, and just have some raw milk, which does have a decent amount of carbohydrates. It is not the time to diet or fast when you are pregnant and also when you are nursing, especially the first year. Yeah, absolutely. I think more than anything, when you're looking at being carnivore or keto, you think about the fact that you're eating such amazing nutrient dense foods and a lot of those things that they warn you about getting enough nutrients when you're pregnant, um, you know, eating that those foods, it would be helpful for you. I mean, I unfortunately ate a lot of ice cream and junk when I was pregnant. And so I wish I would have done something like this. Now, is it necessary to track your macros and focus on your ketones every day that you're pregnant and nursing? No, but just focusing on eating nutrient dense foods, uh, I think would be extremely beneficial to you and your baby. The next one says, uh, I love this podcast. I absolutely love this podcast. I learned so much from each episode. Thank you, Laura and Judy, for being so easygoing and educational, all rolled into one. Keep it going, ladies. I'm your biggest fan. Well, thank you so much. SLS uh, 1979. Thank you. Loving this. I just ran across your podcast and I'm so excited. I love what I've heard so far and I'm so happy for more healthy information on hand to listen to. I just listened to the episode on restriction and binging and the analogies y'all gave just really click with me. I plan on keeping that thought with me every day as a tool to put to good use. Good. I hope that's all we want is for you to have takeaways that can be applied to your real life. The last review has a question with it. It says intermittent fasting question from Jen2331. I would like to start fasting soon, but I am new to it. And my biggest question is what to do when your medicine requires food with it during a fast. Um A lot of medicines are fat soluble. So it's important that you are eating, not necessarily, you know, whether it'll upset your stomach or not, like that's how the medicine breaks down. And so, you know, it's important to follow those instructions, but I I think eating a small amount of food with your medicine doesn't throw out the entire fast. Um, It's not an all or nothing thing. And you haven't thrown out a hundred percent of the benefits grazing all day when it's not necessary is not going to give you the most benefits from your fast. But if you needed to take some food, I wouldn't, you know, take whatever the minimum amount you need to do with it. It is, I wouldn't do like a full big meal or try to plan your fast around that. I think you could still get some good intermittent fasting in, um, and try to just have that be your meal where you got to take your medicine. 
I would also work with your doctor and explain that you want the benefits of autophagy and you want to do things like intermittent fasting and how should you scale your medicine based on that, right? If you are a diabetic and you're taking metformin, obviously it doesn't make sense to take that medication if you're not even eating some food. So I would highly recommend working with the doctor. There are even thyroid medications. Um, a lot of times when you go low carb, you would have to reduce down your thyroid medication. So work with the doctor to make sure what makes sense. And, and then the rest, I think uh, Laura made some very good points. Cool. Thanks guys so much for listening. Feel free to leave us a review if you have more questions and we'll get to those before we do another Q&A episode. We thank you for your support and for listening and hope you guys have an amazing weekend. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>